Today's lesson was recorded on October 19, 2021, and is the fifth lesson in our weekly Bible study through Matthew. In today's lesson, we're going to look at a difficult verse. It's Matthew 11, verse 12. And we're going to explore the passage from the Old Testament that likely lies behind what Jesus is saying. We'll also see that there's another acceptable way to translate this verse that will shed new light on what Jesus actually means. Now, Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit educational organization, and our ongoing operations rely entirely on donations from our generous supporters. If our faith lessons have helped you deepen your understanding of the Bible, we ask that you consider becoming a monthly supporter. And you can become a supporter for as little as $5 per month through the donate link at our website, figtreeteaching.com. And you'll see across the top banner of our website the link that'll take you to the donate page. Once on that page, you can select the donation frequency and dollar amount. And you'll receive electronic confirmations from DonorBox, the service we use, that you'll be able to use when completing your taxes each year. So we want to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of our generous supporters. It's with your support that Fig Tree Ministry continues to grow and help others just like you go deeper into the biblical text. So we hope you enjoy today's lesson on the kingdom breaking forth. Today's study is going to be the kingdom breaks forth. God willing, that'll make some sense as we get to the end. This, of course, is week five now, five weeks of this going through Matthew. And of course, we're going at a record clip. It's impossible to get every little detail that we could talk about, and that's always frustrating for me. And then trying to get something into this amount of time is also a challenge too, which is good for me to have a bit of a um, some limitations to work within. It's always a challenge to do that. Okay, so I always have a picture that is going to relate to the teaching, and tonight it's a picture of a sheepfold. Now, that sheepfold is not only going to relate to our the review of measure for measure, but it will relate to what Jesus is referring to in Matthew 11. So, this is still an active sheepfold. This one is actually in Turkey. Um but it was it's an active sheepfold and the shepherds go out and when they have when they're out at night and they need a place to put their sheep for protection, they take them inside that sheepfold there, and that will come into the story. All right. So if you want to turn, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 11, and specifically we're going to tackle verse 12, which is probably the most difficult of the verses in Matthew 11, but we'll talk about the context of what's leading up to that verse 12. So if you have all of Matthew 11 open, that, that'll be helpful. And before we begin, I want to do a quick review, just because, as I mentioned, I found something this week. I was searching for a fable, and then I noticed this other fable on, uh, and I'll show you the web. There's a website, the Library of Congress has all of Aesop's fables, so you can read them if you'd like. So last week, we talked about measure for measure. The idea that, at least the way they, they thought about it, 
in the first century or within the, the Hebraic mind is that God's creation is structured in a way that when you go against his goodness is what he created the world and it was good. And when you act counter to that, that it will come back on top of you. So what you do to the others will be done to you. And you see that over and over and over in the text. And so you really have to pay attention to your own behavior, because obviously, if you go against what God doesn't want you to do, is go against his goodness. If you know that it will come back on you, then you, you halt. So that's one of the things we talked about last week. So for instance, what I had found this week was looking for another fable, was I found the fable by Aesop. So this is a page that will... You can go to the uh, to Library of Congress website, and of course, right here is Aesop. Now, Aesop lived uh, somewhere in the, about 600 BC, so 600 years before Jesus, and he lived over in Turkey. I know we have a video on, the, on Sardis, when we were talking about Sardis in the book of Revelation. That's where Aesop lived in Sardis. So he has a fable, the wolf in sheep's clothing. Now, we all know that phrase, the wolf or a wolf in sheep's clothing, the wolf in sheep's clothing. We all know the phrase, and we all know how Jesus used it. So in chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 15, he says, watch out for those false prophets. They will come to you as sheep, but they're really wolves. So he uses that as a warning, and we all know how that's used. But what I didn't know is that there was a fable on it. And one thing we have to realize, in Jesus' day, first century Judaism, and, and since Aesop, and even well after that, they're a storytelling culture. Everything is told in a story. When you want to teach your kids, you tell a story. When you want to teach anybody, you tell a story. That's where parables. Next week, when we look at parables, we'll talk about fables a little bit, because parables are just like fables. So it's a storytelling environment. In fact, Jesus even references a couple of Aesop's fables in the New Testament. So they would likely have been familiar with Aesop's fable here, the wolf in sheep's clothing. The problem that we, you don't really know, over time, fables and parables are always told slightly different. And wherever you're, whatever part of the world you're in, whatever your geography, whatever the culture is, it could be a little bit different. So there's lots of variation. Okay, so I, I, I start reading the parable this week, and I realized that there's more to the story, right? I feel like uh, Paul Harvey, and now you know the rest of the story. We all know the first part, that a, sh that a wolf wants to get into the, in with the sheep, so he puts a sheepskin on him as a disguise. But what about the last part of the story? And this is what really got me thinking about it. So I'm going to start at the second paragraph, and this is the handout that I gave you. The sheep gets in, or I'm sorry, the wolf gets into the pen. But then what happens? Well, according to the fable, it says, that evening the wolf entered the fold with the flock. So he's inside the fold. But it happened that the shepherd took fancy for mutton broth that very evening. And picking up a knife, he went to the fold. There, the first he laid hands on and killed was the wolf. I didn't know that was part of the story. But what's the, whole, what's the lesson? What's the, what's the moral lesson that Aesop is trying to tell us? 
Well, they have it right down here. The evil doer often comes to harm through his own deceit. That's exactly what we did last week, measure for measure. You go into the sheep pen to try to kill a sheep. Next thing you know, the shepherd has you thinking you're a sheep because you're in deceit. So I thought, well, isn't that interesting how prevalent it is in the world that people recognize something about God's cosmos? Whether they acknowledge God or not, they can recognize how things work. So I just wanted to show that. And, and there you have another example, even outside the Bible, of a measure for measure. But just how prevalent it is in the ancient world, and I believe it still is today. So, all right, that's just a quick review, and you'll, you can ponder that fable yourself. All right, so the kingdom breaks forth. Now, as I mentioned, God willing, in a, in a short period of time here, you will understand what I mean by that. And it's really tough. This is one of the toughest verses in, to translate. And it's really tough when you're looking at your Bible, you see something in English and have to flip it in your mind. So that's why I want to, you know, if you have your notes or you write something next to it in your Bible, that'll help you. But let's look at Matthew 11, verse 12. And you guys all know this one, and I'm sure many of you have had problems with it. So, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And this is the word, the Greek word is biazo, and we're going to, I don't like to get too technical in these studies, but this is a big deal. You got to, we have to pay attention to that word. Biazo, biazo is the Greek word that gets translated subjective to violence in the passive. Okay, let's keep going. And violent people, also comes from the word biazo, have been raiding it. Now, I don't know about you, but you see the word violence, and then you see violent people, and you see this translation here. This is the NIV I'm reading, the 2011 NIV, raiding it. And you start thinking, that sounds antithetical to what Jesus taught. Pray for your enemies. Don't become violent. Like, what is going on here? And a lot of people stumble at this verse and think, what, are they, what is he really trying to say? And so what we're going to do today, of course, is look, try to look at it through a different lens and see if we might be able to maybe uh, get a better, or, well, I don't want to say better, but get a different interpretation. Okay. This is, by the way, I'm sorry, to, I should have mentioned this. It's on the top of your handout. I, I gave you two versions of this verse, and they both come from the NIV. So on the top of your handout, you have the first one. That's the NIV from 2011. Then you have this one. It's right below it. This is the NIV from 1984. So from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Now, forcefully advancing, that sounds different than subjected to violence. It's, it's actually the opposite, and I'll show you why. And then it says, and forceful men lay hold of it. So instead of violent people raid it, forceful men lay hold of it. And now you look at that and you think, how could you get that big of a difference in translation? Could they seem to be the opposite? Well, the, the, the reality is, the verb biazo, 
the the two the subjected to violence or forcefully advancing are both acceptable translations of the Greek word, but now what you have to do is create the context around it. Did you get the right context? And if you get the right context, one of them makes sense and the other one starts to not make sense. So that's what we need to work on today is context. So this is not easy, and I apologize for giving talking about any kind of, you know, Greek grammar or anything like that. I don't like doing that, but it's really important that we at least catch a little bit of the gist that you that there's a reason this is a difficult verse to interpret. So here's what I want to do. Now, now we're going we're gonna to move on. We're going to go bigger. I want to look at the full context of what's happening with Jesus. And this is from Matthew 11, verse 1 to 15, because verse 12 obviously comes towards the end. What's going on in Matthew 11? How does it start out? Well, it starts out, it's all about John the Baptist. So we're going to go 15 verses all about John the Baptist. So we need to recognize there's something in verse 12 that's going to point to John the Baptist. Second, Jesus is going to explicitly challenge us to say John is Elijah. He's Elijah to come. Okay, well then verse 12 must fit into that too. I'll try to show you an example of this, but when scholars describe what Jesus and John are doing, they call it speaking in code. Now, it's not really code, but it's rabbinic dialogue that's in code. They're using scripture to communicate things that if you don't know that scripture, you won't know what they're talking about. Like a husband and wife that have little that have little words that they can communicate back and forth and no one else knows what they're talking about. It's a little code. So they're speaking in code, and I'll show you that in a minute. And then what we're going to see is that Matthew 11, verse 12, looks to be a veiled reference to an Old Testament prophecy, meaning he's not saying directly, here's the direct connection, but he puts it in a way that the audience would say, ah, I know what he's talking about, but he, didn't, he did it cryptically. So, okay. That's the context, starting at starting chapter 11, verse 1. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this because we don't have time to go deep into it, but here's what's happening. This is now uh, number two on your handout. John's question, right? And he, he really wants to know, are you the Messiah, right? And the reason he wants to know that is because John's in prison. Herod put John in prison. John says, sends message to Jesus. Because he wants to know, hey, are you the Messiah or not? Because if you're the Messiah, I'm not supposed to be in prison, at least by his way of thinking of what the Messiah is supposed to do. So when John sends a message to Jesus, he does it cryptically. He doesn't say, are you the Messiah? He says, are you the coming one? Now, where's he getting that? Where's the coming one come from? Well, the coming one is... Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds to rule. Are you the one that is to come? And so Jesus knows what he's saying, but he doesn't say Messiah. Are you the one that is to come? Are you the Messiah? Because if you're the Messiah, why am I still sitting here in prison? The Messiah is supposed to get me out of prison. So John's doubting a little bit something about Jesus. Jesus' actions are different than John thought they should be. Okay, then Jesus responds, and he says to John's disciples, go tell John what you see and hear. And now here comes my list on the screen. He says this, 
Go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached. This is the good stuff, right? Now, he's in code. He's very deep inside the Old Testament. And what he's going to do is I'm going to leave a space because he leaves one thing out that John would immediately pick up on. So the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached. He skips one and then says, Blessed are those who don't stumble on my account, John. Don't fall away because of me. Now, what's going on here? Well, as I said, they're in code. He's, so John uh, sends a message in code. Now Jesus sends one back. And every one of these, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the deaf hear, they all come from Isaiah, and they're all messianic as expectations. So Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah. Look at what's happening, right? So we're not going to go through these, but I put them on your sheet. So you'll have them. Go back and read through them. The blind see, Isaiah 29 and Isaiah 35. The lame walk, Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. They're all going to be about the Messiah, the day the Messiah comes. Uh, The lepers, Isaiah 61. The deaf hear, back to Isaiah 29 and 35. The dead are raised. Now, this is a tough one. Um, Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 is the stump of Jesse. Out of the stump of Jesse will come a brand new shoot. So the tree that's just now a stump is going to resurrect into a brand new tree. So the dead are raised. And then finally, the good news is preached, Isaiah 61. He's inside Isaiah, deep inside the text. And you know, what bothers me is as much as I love my Bible and read my Bible, I can't play this game at all. I didn't know where those came from. Someone has to point them out to be. But you know who can do it? Is an Orthodox Jew. Sitting Rabbi, one of Rabbi Barney's class, when they have an Orthodox Jew with them, he'll know where every verse is. And you think, how do you know that? Well, you spend your whole life with the text. So that you don't miss a thing. It's all in your, God's got it all in your mind. Okay, so here's the thing. What's missing? Well, it's Isaiah 61.1. So Jesus says, the good news is preached. That's Isaiah 61.1. And then he leaves off a sentence. So I'm just going to show you real quick. Isaiah 61.1. This is what Jesus preaches at the the uh, synagogue in Nazareth. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. That's a messianic uh, indication. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And then he stops. Now, what comes next? Well, he's going to proclaim freedom to the captives. And what does John want to hear? The captives are going to get let, let loose out of prison, released from the darkness for, of their prisons. And Jesus leaves it out. It's brilliant. It's brilliant dialogue that gives him the answer. He says, yes, are you the Messiah? Jesus says, yes, I am. Look, see what's happening? But unfortunately, John, I'm not the Messiah you think. You're not going to be freed from jail. I'm not the Messiah that comes in power to knock out the Romans. I'm the Messiah that comes to show you how to forgive. So the reason why I want to show you this is he's deep in the text. And when we go to the uh, verse 12, you have to realize they're deep in the text because there's not a million years I could look at, at Matthew t- verse 12, 11 verse 12, and figure out where it came from in the Old Testament. 
But you know who can? An Orthodox Jew. They see it immediately. They know exactly what's going on. So, okay, I just wanted to give you that example that um, it's, it's like a type of rabbinic code in the way that they're communicating. All right, so then that leads up to now Matthew 12, because we get this verse that sounds so out of place and kind of doesn't make sense to us, but it's deep inside this discussion about John the Baptist and Jesus. So, if I pull this up again, let me see where I'm at. Okay. So, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. Eee, that doesn't sound nice. And violent people have been raiding it. So, we've got two Greek words there. The first one is biazo, and this is now, we're down on number three on your handout. So, the difficulty is all with this word. What do we do with this word? Because guess how many times it's used in the New Testament? Twice, and it's right here. So it makes it really difficult to figure out what Jesus is saying. So, biazo, they translate it here, and almost in all the Bible versions, subjected to violence. Now, subjected to is passive. If you're subjected to violence, you're sitting there, and the violence is coming at you. And so, in Greek, you can have a passive tense of a verb, just like we can. And the passive tense here of biazo says, what's the noun? Well, the noun is the kingdom of heaven. So what's happening to the kingdom of heaven? In a passive sense, it's being subjected to something, subjected to violence. So that can be the case if you take it as passive. But guess what? You don't have to take it as passive. And that, of course, makes it difficult. So subjected gives us the idea that's passive. But you have another way that you can translate the verse. So if we go to the next slide, is something in Greek that's called the middle voice. Now that's just the way that they talk about Greece, uh, Greece, Greek, but what's the middle voice? The middle voice says, whoever the noun is, who's the noun again? The kingdom of, of heaven. That the noun is doing the action. So if I were the noun, it would say, I'm forcefully advancing, because I'm the one doing it in the middle voice. I'm the noun. In this case, the kingdom of heaven, and the way it was translated in uh, the NIV 1984, kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing, because it's doing it itself. And what you can think is, think of it as expanding. Right? The kingdom of heaven is expanding from within. It's coming from internal and it's expanding out forcefully. You can't stop it. Not violent, forceful. Okay, so that's our big problem because now you have to choose which one? Do I choose the passive or do I choose the middle voice? And this is where, uh, you know, often people say, just tell me what the Greek word means and I'll go with it. It's like, well, sometimes we don't know what the Greek word means. We have to put it into the larger context. Okay, again, not to throw too many word, Greek word stuff at you, but I want to show you a definition because this is, you can find this, the website's called Bible Hub. Here's our word. So I'll highlight the word at the top, biazo. And I know it's probably depending on the size of your screen. If you're watching on a phone, that's really small. But trust me, here's what it says. So in the usage, you have middle. That M-I-D means middle. So in the middle, 
It says, I use force. I force my way. That's the I. That's the noun. The kingdom of heaven forces its way in. Forcefully. Then you have the passive. So you could also translate it in the passive. I am forcibly treated. The force is coming the other direction. Okay. Then down here, it gives a little word study and it says properly laying hold of something with positive aggressiveness. That's positive. The word is positive. Now, does violent sound positive? That's not how we use violent. So the word biatso in this case, is they're saying, no, it's used positively in the New Testament. But that's not how violent usually sounds to us. Violent sounds negative. So it's probably not violent as we think about it, but it's a force that's expanding. Okay, so that's biazo. That's the verb. What about the noun? What about the violent men? This one. So we have the biastes, which comes from biazo. It's like the same word used twice. and. Some Bibles, most Bibles, say violent men. And you think, well, why? Violent men are taking hold of the kingdom? That doesn't sound right. So the biastes is a noun. Forceful men. And again, it's used positively. So violent doesn't sound positive. But if we look at the word, so here's biastes. And the usage, you could say violent. That's not wrong, but you have to look at the context, or it could be one who is eager in pursuit. Ah, the kingdom of God is breaking forth, and those that are doing the breaking grab hold of the kingdom passionately to grab hold of that kingdom. In fact, down here, down, down below, it says, biastes, the positive assertiveness Violence isn't positive. Well, I guess it could be positive assertiveness, but positive assertiveness. I'm going after the kingdom of God. And then it says, used of the believer, living in faith, guiding them to act forcefully. And then it says, if you're fired up by, the, by God to act. That's a, that's a positive act, action. So I think that second translation where The people who are breaking forth are grabbing hold of the kingdom of God positively, positive assertiveness. They're not going to let go. They're fired up by God, and the kingdom is advancing. There's, There's other parables that say the same thing. So, this is really tough. I apologize for all the Greek. Now let's get to the good stuff, because this now we get back into story. But I have to show you that you can translate that differently, and. Now it's just a matter of who's doing the interpretation and what they choose to do. So here's what happens. Um, so for those who study in the East, they'll always go to the Greek and say, where can we find the Hebrew equivalent? Let's go back to Hebrew, because we want to see what Hebrew word, and if there's anything that would match this sentence from the Hebrew. So is there a Hebrew equivalent of biazo? And the answer, of course, is yes, or we wouldn't be here talking tonight. And where we find that is the Greek, well, it's called the Septuagint, and it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. So about 200 to 250 years before Jesus, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek because the Greek-speaking people wanted to read their Bible. So you say, okay, do we have the word biazo 
in the Greek Septuagint? And the answer is yes. Oh, what Hebrew word is it replacing? And the word is parats. Now, let me think. I'm, I just let me make sure I keep up with you guys. Yes, so this is number four on the back of your sheet. And parats means to break out, to break forth. There's a story, Genesis uh, chapter 38. It's kind of a crazy chapter, but Judah has a daughter-in-law that, that needs to get pregnant to carry on the line. And she dresses up like a prostitute, and Judah gets her pregnant. It's a crazy, we don't have time, but it's a crazy chapter. And she has, she has twins in her womb, and when she goes to give birth, one of them breaks out. And she says, ah, we will name our child Perez. Now, your Bible says Perez, but it's Perez. This child has broken out of the womb. Now, four weeks ago, we did the genealogy of Jesus, right? And in Jesus' genealogy, Judah, the father of Perez, or Perez, whose mother was Tamar. So, Jesus has an explosive DNA, someone who breaks forth. That's Peretz. And you are, you're already aware of that word, but it shows up funny because it's a name, and we don't spell it the same in our English. So, okay, so we have this word. Now, would it be even better then? Can you imagine if in the Old Testament we had the word Peretz to break forth? And it was inside of a messianic prophecy. And it also was a messianic prophecy that, you, that would point to Elijah coming. And, oh, by the way, had some followers that were also breaking forth. Wouldn't it be really cool if the Old Testament had a prophecy just like this? Yes. And in fact, they do, of course. And this is where I do want you to turn Micah 2. 12 and 13. So I know that's the first thing you guys were all thinking. Isn't he talking about Micah? So Micah 2, 12 and 13. I'm going to take a drink while you guys get there. Very important prophecy, and this is not one that usually comes up on people's lists of prophecies for Jesus. But Micah 2, 12 and 13. And what I'll do is I'm going to read it straight through first, then we're going to break it into verse 12 and then to verse 13, and I'll talk through what is being played out here in uh, Micah. If you can't find Micah, it's between Nahum and uh, Jonah, which probably won't help at all. Nahum, both of those are like two pages, so somewhere in the back of your prophets. Okay, Micah, chapter 2. Notice even, this is the NIV. The NIV, NIV gives it a title, Deliverance Promised. The deliverance of Israel, yes? And what's the whole story of Jesus? He's the promised deliverer that's going to show up. So it's deliverance promised. It's a messianic prophecy. Okay, verse 12. I will surely gather Jacob. All of you, Jacob, I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. 
The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Now, verse 13, this is the verse. Verse 12 sets it up, but verse 13, the one who breaks open the way, guess what word? Parats. Somebody breaks open the way. God put all of Israel in a pen. Then it says they. So our first character is the guy who breaks, the breaker. Then you have they. Those are the sheep inside the pen. They break through the gates and go out. The king, their king, will pass before, through before them. Well, of course, who's the king? So if we just look at, now let me break this down a little bit. Verse 12, because it'll start making sense. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. That's starting in verse 12. I is God. So God is going to gather Israel. I will gather all of you, Israel. Where am I going to put you? I'm going to put you in that sheep pen that's in the back there. I'm going to bring you together like sheep in a pen. So the imagery they're using is imagery that everybody would know. Sheep pens are everywhere in the Middle East because that's what the shepherds need to keep their, their flock safe. Like a flock in its, chapter, in its pasture, the place will throng with people. And this is the image that's, of what's happening. God is placing his people in that sheep pen. First thing, in Israel, especially in Israel, because in the desert they have caves, they'll take a cave and then they'll build a rock wall. So they build a, a rock wall that will be like a, to keep the, the, the predators out and keep the sheep in. And then the cave will provide some sort of cover. But wherever you find the sheepfolds, they're always built with stone, right? And so the imagery is God places his sheep in the pen. What happens to the sheep after they've been in the pen too long? They start getting anxious. They want to get out. Eventually, the shepherd, if there's not a door, he'll kick open. He'll break open a space in the wall there. And he breaks open the space and the sheep dive to get out. And as they're leaving the pen, they're breaking down the wall too. So you have the breaker who goes first and then they, the sheep break open and explode out of the pen. Just like the middle voice of Biazzo, it's coming out. It's the, the forceful advancement of the kingdom of heaven is going outward. Okay. Now that we have the picture of what's happening, God puts Israel in a pen, and then it says, the one who breaks open the way. Now that word, it's actually, it's like six words in English. The one who breaks open the way. You know what the Hebrew word is? Peretz. The breaker. The one who breaks through the, the pen in this case. Now, who's the breaker? John. John breaks open the kingdom of heaven. He's the one who Jesus is saying is breaking open the kingdom of heaven. So you have someone who opens up a, a, a hole. Then, next verse, they will break through the gate and go out. Well, who's the they? Well, that's you and me. That's, the, that's God's sheep that he put in a pen. And we're going to follow our shepherd, right? And you know what the word there is? Parats. So just like in the Greek, 
where you have Biazzo and then a and then a version of Biazzo that's the noun. Here you have the same thing: one who breaks, and then those who break. So you have the the one who breaks, they will break, and then who's their king? Their king will pass before them. Of course, that's Jesus, right? That's the Messiah. So this is the picture. This is what scholars think that Matthew eleven is actually Matthew eleven verse twelve is actually saying. From the time of King of John, the kingdom has been breaking forth. Using uh, the imagery that's coming out of Micah. So, if we were to paraphrase, and this is where it gets really tough, is you almost have to do a paraphrase. So this is on your sheet, about halfway down number five. I just put a paraphrase because you you have to do the translation yourself. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been breaking forth. John was the breaker. He's Elijah to come. He's knocking down all the spiritual barriers. Repent! The kingdom of heaven is near. He's He's getting the people ready. So he's breaking forth. Greek, biazo, Hebrew, parats. And then it says, and those breaking forth, because think of the sheep, the sheep are coming out. And as the sheep go out of that one little hole, they start knocking down other stones in that sheep pen. And as they break forth, they pursue it. Well, the, uh, sorry. Biaste, parats again. They pursue it with assertiveness. It's not a raiding. It's a it's an intense, passionate, I'm going after the kingdom of God. I heard Jesus' teaching. Yes, I accept. And you're exploding out of that gate from the, 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 the breach that John put in the wall. So we're supposed to be explosive sheep that go and grab hold of the kingdom of God. That's the picture that John's, or that Jesus is presenting. And when you read suffers violence, you know, the, the part that's so difficult for scholars with suffered violence is the kingdom had, at that point, and as Jesus is saying that, there wasn't, they weren't suffering violence. The church has often said, ah, that's us, we suffer violence. But that's not what's happening there in that text. And then violent men, that one throws us too, because you think, well, that's not what Jesus wants. So, okay, the kingdom is breaking forth, and those breaking forth are going to grab hold of that kingdom. And here's, when we think about the context of what's happening here in Matthew 11, is if I look at the next two verses, so if you look in your Bible at verse 14 and 15, he immediately goes right to the point. If you're willing to accept it, he, John, is Elijah who was to come. So he's pointing us towards their idea of Micah 2.13 and Elijah who's to come. Now you could see maybe the crowd is having difficulty because Elijah, in their mind, was this strong superhero prophet who could do anything. And now John's in jail. This doesn't make sense. That's not how Elijah's supposed to come. And the same thing happens with Jesus. You're supposed to be Messiah, son of David. You're supposed to kick out Rome. You're not supposed to die on the cross. So they may be having a hard time. So Jesus says, look, if you're willing to accept it, he's the Elijah that was come. And then he gives us a great little verse because this is the, this is the idea of saying, Maybe you can hear the text speaking. Maybe not. 
Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Not everybody can hear the text speaking. So, God, give us ears to hear your text. And so I think if we can go back again and say, all right, from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven is breaking forth. That's what's happening in Jesus. We watch the disciples go out, drive out demons, heal the sick. You know, the speech, the speechless speak, the deaf hear, the blind can see. It's the kingdom blasting forth. And you can't stop it. So for those breaking forth and they pursue it with assertiveness, those people who hear that message, go for it. So, okay, that's the, this is where you go when, when Eastern scholars translate Matthew eleven twelve. this is what they come up with. Now, the, la- the last thing that we'll finish with is, wouldn't it be nice if there was some rabbinic material that would say that this would be, reflect how Jews thought about Micah 2.13? And the answer, of course, again, is yes, there is. So I put these on your sheet. It's under number seven. And it'll show you how, in Jewish thought, when they read Micah 2.13, who they place in as the breaker and the king. So the first one comes from a writing, Pesikta Rabati. You can read it on your sheet. I'm just going to read it out loud on the screen. When the Holy One, blessed be He, redeems Israel, Three days before the Messiah comes, Elijah will come and stand on the mountains of Israel. In that hour, the Holy One, blessed be He, will show His glory and His kingdom to all the inhabitants of the world. He will redeem Israel, and He will appear at, their, at the head of them, as it is said. And here's where he now they're going to start quoting Micah. He who opens the breach, that's the breaker, is Elijah will go up before them. They, that's the people of Israel, will break through and pass the gate going out by it. And their king, Messiah, will pass before them, the Lord at their head. That's a rabbinic thought on on what Micah 2.13 is saying, who those characters are supposed to be. And then, just in case we needed another one, I'll give you another rabbi. This rabbi... Uh, was, let's see, he lived 1160 to 1235. And he's talking about, he's doing a commentary on past interpretations. And he says, the one who opens the breach, again, Micah, is Elijah. And the king is the scion of David, now the son of David there. So what we find is both. We find in Eastern thinking, they go right to Micah. And then they translate it differently because you can, you can go from the passive, suffer violence to the middle, forcefully advance. And that one, forcefully advance, actually makes more sense when you think about Micah because Micah is bursting out of that sheep pen, just like we're bursting through to grab hold of the kingdom of heaven. All right, I'm going to do this. I didn't put this on your sheet. I'm going to say it, at least for those watching the video later, or if you want to write down the name, if you do any research on this uh, translation, there's a fellow by the name of Edward Pocock. He lived, let's see, from 1604 to 1691. So I just want you to know, this type of translation is not new, but it's Eastern. 
he was from England. He was a theologian, and he was at Oxford University. And he got sent to Syria, to a city called Aleppo, which is in Syria. And Aleppo was a thriving city, a, a rabbinic city. So it appears he's studying now with Easterners, and that makes all the difference. So he writes a commentary on Micah. And when he gets to Micah 2.13, he says, this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew. John's the breaker. Jesus is the king. His followers are the ones grabbing the kingdom of heaven. So it's not so much when you study to come up with this idea. It's actually who you're studying with that'll make all the difference. So just in case you ever do some research on this, this name will come up. And then um, finally, probably the most extensive explanation of this comes from Brad Young. And I've mentioned this book, I think, two weeks ago, Jesus, the Jewish Theologian. Brad Young did his PhD at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And so he talks extensively about how this, how what I just told you tonight, coming up with the translation that it's uh, not so much about the violence, but about the forceful advancement. All right, so let's do a quick review. A, John the Baptist is Elijah. He's the breaker, the one who breaks open. He knocks down all the spiritual barriers so that the Messiah can come in. And we know that because that's what the New Testament tells us about John the Baptist. But he's the breaker in, in Micah. We're the sheep. We're Israel gathered together into the pen. The breach is kicked open. And of course, the, the sheep explode out of there. They're led by Jesus, who's the king. That one's easy for us. And what are we supposed to do as the sheep? Well, not be violent, but assertively take hold of the kingdom. Passionate, explosive sheep that come out of that pen and say, now that I've got the teaching of Jesus, I will not let go. And you're passionately holding on to the kingdom of God. So that's basically one verse in Matthew, and you can see how in order to go deep into that, it takes a little bit of takes a little bit of analysis. Okay, so that's Matthew week, week five, the kingdom breaks forth. Now, God willing, I was at least able to show you why you might think that the kingdom is breaking forth would be a title for this lesson tonight. Hopefully that gives you a little bit different view of that verse, and I know that you'll likely have to, uh, you know, you have to work it in your mind to read it. I have to write things in my Bible to make sure that I remember that there's a different way to think about what's going on in the Greek. Okay, next week, we'll look at a couple parables. We'll do a quick review of parables, and then we'll look at a couple parables that we have not looked at before. And of course, the kingdom of God is always a subject of Jesus' parables. <laughs>